Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, thanks for calling in. Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks for keeping the wind in the sails of the Corolla Pirate Ship so we can keep doing this stuff. And... Uh, yeah, well, check out drdrew.com if you would be so kind. I'm doing a daily uh, streaming show now, around usually around noon Pacific, where I take your questions as they scroll up on uh, Facebook Live and Periscope and Twitch and Mixer and all that stuff. We're sort of streaming out all over the place. And then on the weekends, do a show called Ask Dr. Drew, where I take live phone calls, much like what I'm about to do here right now. But that is live live. This is obviously a recorded podcast. So if you don't get in today and you want to be part of a live interaction – uh, look for those shows on Sunday afternoon Pacific time. We're generally doing them every week. And all the other pods at drdrew.com. We appreciate you checking that out as well. Let me get to – whoops, my callers. I believe this is Susan. Is that you, Susan? Dusan, I believe. Dusan. Oh, Dusan. Sorry. I thought I thought it was – literally thought it was a, mis, a uh, mistype up there. I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. I had a question. Yeah, I've never heard of you. Oh, I hope you can hear me. Yeah, I hear you. And uh, I never heard you, uh, you or uh, Adam ever talk about the different types of therapy or different types of, like, I'm, I'm trying to find a ther- therapist for my issue, but I never could understand, like, the different types and what I exactly I need or I don't want to be just, you know, jumping from therapist to therapist. I want to find something specific for what I need. Right. I, I do talk about, I talk about a lot on that those uh, live shows, by the way, because people are asking always specific okay. questions about that stuff. But so let's get into a little bit. Uh, the one thing... Uh, that the research shows clearly in terms of the benefits of therapy. In other words, what is it about a given therapist that increases the probability that that professional is going to be effective, have good outcomes? And most of the research shows that the thing, the necessary ingredient that distinguishes someone who is effective versus not so much is deep empathic attunement. So no matter what kind of therapy is being used, to have that empathic, attuned other person in the room with you seems to be the sort of secret sauce. It's the magic ingredient that makes treatment uh, effective. And, and that has categorically been my experience, so I'm not surprised by that, found, that finding. Now, that still doesn't mean that uh, just empathy is all you need, right? You need a certain kind of treatment. And there are many treatments out there now that are so-called evidence-based. And so let's just talk uh, about not just the treatment but also how to navigate the system. Generally speaking, the way – no one ever does this but the way it ought to be done, the way it should be done properly is you first realize you're having symptoms. Uh, If those symptoms are causing you difficulty functioning, which is sort of the threshold between – you know, just being miserable or having the blues and really there being a medical problem, trouble functioning in work or school, relationships, your uh, cognitive functioning, your legal functioning, your work function, all those areas, school functioning, something's not going quite right and you have some symptoms, that is a marker for a medical treatment. I think you should always start with your primary caretaker and have a medical evaluation because I, I cannot tell you how frequently psychiatric symptoms are the presenting manifestation of medical problems. So the first thing is to rule out a medical problem. Then have that ideally because, again, one of the other problems with uh, uh, mental health services in this country is how, who do you go to? How do you know what's good? How do you know what's not good? It's a pretty random 
uh, process. I actually spoke about this at length yesterday on a podcast called Whiskey Ginger with uh, Andrew Santino. You like Whiskey Ginger? I love that show. No, no, you're Andrew's here. a very funny guy. He is very funny. He, he's a very good interviewer too, so we get into some heavy stuff. And uh, so again, you can hear more about that on Whiskey Ginger. And uh, so then I, my, I, in my mind, the way to do this properly is that primary caretaker refers you to a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist then does a diagnostic workup and a medical psychiatric workup and comes up with a framework of diagnostic impressions to help us understand what's going on with you. One, you know, one of the things in medicine is if you don't have a diagnosis, you don't have a treatment. The treatments that we use are studied in the context of a particular diagnosis. So if the treatments are applied without the diagnosis, you are not likely to have a good outcome. So first and foremost, does is there accurate diagnosis and is this an evidence-based treatment for that diagnosis? So proper diagnosis and treatment. Then that because psychiatrists are physicians, they should make a decision as whether or not pharmacotherapy would be appropriate. Then ideally, that psychiatrist will refer you to the type of therapist you need. Cognitive behavioral therapies are very effective these days. Dialectical behavioral therapies for people that have personality issues. Emotionally focused therapies for couples and people that want a, sort of a longer-term exploration, have difficulty accessing feelings and regulating emotions. You may be referred specifically to mutual aid society, peer-based things, which are evidence-based treatments, and they are free and they're on every corner, things like AA and 12-step, that kind of thing. Then there's sort of many, many other categories out there. Like if you say fail your pharmacotherapy, there might be transcranial magnetic stimulation where they use magnets to, to raise the chemicals in the region of the brain associated with depression. Extremely effective therapies with almost no side effects. Or are you going to be sent for mindfulness? Or is somebody going to train you at mindfulness? Or do you need physical rehab and just get yourself mobilized? There are all kinds of ideas about how to optimize mental health intervention. Do you need vocational rehabilitation? Should you be changing your work? Is there Are there problems in your relationship where you need to have somebody come in and really sort out what's going on interpersonally or in the family dynamics? So there's a lot of ways to approach these things and the professional should be making the decisions. The individual trying to navigate this, you can see how bewildering it would be, right? Yeah. Does that make sense for all that? That makes sense, yeah. Uh, specifically for me, the, the trauma... Uh, as a child uh, with the physical abuse and brow beating and neglect, right. both parents, but mostly from mostly from my dad because I, I went to therapy before and I, as I was sitting there, kind of processing through my mind, thinking about you know going back to anticipating the beatings, you know, waiting for my dad to finish off with my mom and come to us, my sister and I, and wait for our beatings and stuff. I was thinking, you know, like I was actually thinking. Well, actually, I was kind of scared for my mom because I would hear her shriek and scream and. He would, you know, verbally abuse her for a while, and then he would, you know, hit her a few times. And the whole anticipation of listening to her screaming and shrieking, horrible, horrible, being abused, and and then come to me and my sister in my room, we were we were sitting there, cowering by our beds and crying, and you know, just you know, we're small children, you know, we're just traumatized by that. Horrible, you know. Now from that, I have an you know eating problem. You know, every time I need comfort or anytime I feel anxiety, emotion, anything comes up at all, I'm always, I always go straight to food and just comfort myself and soothe myself with food. All right, so, so you, you, right, there are eating disorders and the eating disorders are often yeah. associated with trauma and that may need a specific treatment. Again, it needs a specific yeah. evaluation, a specific treatment. Clearly, you need what's called trauma treatment and trauma-informed care, things like EMDR and neurobiofeedback would be very important in, in your overall treatment. Okay. So, 
You know, right. so you want somebody that knows about eating disorders and somebody knows about trauma uh, and has specific trauma therapies offered, okay? Okay, that makes I'm, sense. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry right, you went you. through that. Oh. No, nobody, nothing about that is okay and no one deserves to go through that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Appreciate right. it. You Thank take you. care. Uh, I'm not sure. Gary on line five, is is that is line four gone or is that actually line five that's up there? Take a shot at it being line five. All right. I'm looking. Uh, Salvador, is that you? No, it is not. Hi, what's your name? Hmm. Daniel. Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Uh, hey there. Hey. hey, what's going on? How you doing? Good. What's up? I'm just wanting to try to get your take on medical marijuana. What about it? Is it good? Is it bad? What's your pros and cons on it? It's neither good nor bad. Uh, the treatments are neither good nor bad. They just are or are not effective for given diagnoses. So make sure you see a properly trained, licensed mental health professional. And once you have a diagnostic assessment, ask if cannabis might be useful in the treatment of whatever it is you're dealing with. I use it in the, in, in the place of pain medicine for an amputation that I have, a, a below-knee amputation. You're looking for pain medicine? No, I use it in the place of pain medicine to keep from using pain medicine. Right. Are you using anything else besides cannabis? No, sir. No? No, sir. Okay. And did you used to be strung out on opiates? <laughs> no, sir. But I've, I've had a, a few issues with them before when I had to stop taking them. When oh. I first was starting to have the surgeries and everything. Um, so it was just a decision to me that there was something better for me than taking those or where they could have led. You never know. How long were you on but, them? Um, How long were you on them for? Oh, about like six months. Okay. So, yeah, cannabis, much preferable to opiates. Uh, so if that's helping you, uh, again, you don't treat yourself. You work with a professional to help you manage it so you're not right. using it inappropriately. But uh, I, I've always said I'd rather treat somebody on cannabis than on opiates. And uh, so if that's uh, helping you, you have chronic pain and that is a significant – there, there may be other things for you to do out there that are sort of better. You should essentially – with chronic pain like that, you should have sort of a, a toolbox – you should have a series of different things that are going at it from different ways. There shouldn't be just one thing that you're using. Uh, one thing oftentimes gets to escalate and sometimes makes the pain worse. So think in terms of a toolbox and you might see a pain specialist about that. So uh, after I was on the Adam Carolla show, the ACS show, the, the main flagship of this uh, here this here organization, uh, got a lot of feedback on the – C-SPAN presentation I did, the thing I did at the White House about our homeless situation and the mental health crisis that's causing people to – I literally see people dying in the streets. They drive to work every day. Um, and as a result, uh, I've got a lot of calls from the Washington area, you know, D.C. press. Are you serious? Are you going to run for a governor? You're right for uh, for a congressman? You're, you're going to take on Adam Schiff? And I'm like, I, I, I don't want to. Let me be super clear about this. I do not want to do that, at least not now. Uh, but – I feel like things are so desperate here in Southern California that I I have to do something to get our representative to govern. For instance, there are several things that we need to do immediately. We need to lift the IMD exclusion, which is this exclusion, this exclusion of resources since the 1960s that Medicare and Medi-Cal have maintained that have prevented any access 
to resources for the treatment of the chronically mentally ill that need custodial care. They just exclude it, which is ridiculous. We need to lift the IMD exclusion. I'm calling on Congress to do that. Number two, the infrastructure here in Southern California is crumbling. I, I swear to God, I'm going I'm to take a horse into work because it's it's better. It's better than 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 uh, <laughs> than renting an automobile where the roads are more suitable to a horse. Don't you agree with me? I absolutely uh, do. And, it's- and, it's ridiculous. And by the way, I just saw today that Uber has finally got their drone up and going and they're expecting to have the service in place by 2023. You've been hot on that for years. I'll be customer number one, I swear to God. And it just – I don't care how dangerous it is just to flip off our government to rise, just rise, float over them and the horrible catastrophe they're creating here in our streets. Well, let's set, let's set aside the infrastructure, which I agree is absolutely abysmal. Yeah. Isn't it – demoralizing every Christmas for those two weeks when Los Angeles shuts down and you can get places in a reasonable amount of time. Right. Seven work. miles takes 20 minutes as opposed to 60. Roads working the way they're supposed to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but but I, but I uh, the problem is I start noticing more potholes. True. Right? That and is again, absolutely part, true. part of the country that does not have ice has potholes. How is that possible? We don't have cold. We have some wet once, you know, two weeks a year. And we have more potholes than I see in, in Boston. Give me a it's break. It's got to be about the the number, the sheer volume of cars using those roads. It's the it's sheer neglect of the roads. Yep. It's the neglect. There's a, there's a pothole. It's almost become a sinkhole out in front of my own house in Pasadena. But all right, you neglect the roads. And, and the point is infrastructure is a catastrophe. The IMD exclusion is a catastrophe. There, there are so many things that – Need to be governed. I I I, I want to know a little bit more. I would I would start to look over at HHS and what's going on with FDA and the approval process for drugs and how we go about that and whether the government can help with that. I mean, there's so many things to be done, other than worry about politics. It just it. So so the point is, you know, what came out of the ACS show was me just going. Ah, I think I'm going to run for Adam Schiff's position. That was me just ruminating because I happen to live in his his district and my district is a catastrophe. And so I feel like I have to do something. I don't want to. I do not want to. Let me be super clear. I do not want to do it. Although I've, I find it a great honor and a great privilege to be working in the federal government. That would be a fascinating thing. It's not good for me right now. Maybe in a few years or something I would consider it, but not now. And the problem is as I drive by people that are dying on the sidewalk right in front of me, I, I'm, I'm compelled. I'm morally pushed to action to do something. But – yeah, I'd rather not. That's the bottom line. Right, well, I, as someone who is politically interested but not active, I will be the first one to sign up as a volu- right. unpaid volunteer okay. to help with anything. Right. But yeah, I mean, I I don't. You blame get what you. I'm saying, though, right? Yes, I, mean, I do. Just, oh I, my I, goodness, you make one wrong turn somewhere near wrong yeah, turn. There's no wrong turns. It's everywhere I go. Well, that's forget the wrong turns. The wrong turns. Oh, oh that's just well. Then ridiculous. you get into you get into you know absolute just. Oh, just a Sodom and a Gomorrah. It's just, exactly. it's, just, it's just ridiculous. But but what I see everywhere and saw tons of this morning just driving in here, people dying of meth and dying of opiates and dying of schizophrenia and, and dying of infections that are being unattended to because the patient doesn't want treatment, doesn't want treatment, can't touch them. Yeah, Their legs rotting off. Guy's legs rotting off. I saw it this morning. Leg Absolutely. rotting off. Oh, you can't touch him. Not until he's unconscious. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I would also urge uh, us to come up in this state with some sort of mandate for psychiatric directives. In other words, once people get into these conditions where their brains aren't working right, the laws don't let us do anything. So what you have to have is much in the same way we have medical directives to direct doctors on what to do medically when somebody's brain isn't working right. When our brains stop working because of an infectious sepsis, we are directed to do breathing machines or not do breathing machines, do feeding food, not do tube feeding foods, tube feeding you know, interventions. 
Same thing needs to be with with psychiatry, which is when this, any psychiatric illness is is made, we should have a template that is universally mandated for all doctors that the doctor reviews with the patient, saying, "Hey, you have an illness that can decompensate, and when you decompensate, you will not be thinking right, and you will not understand what's happening to you. You will not see the consequences of your illness, and you will not you will resist care." In that setting, what would you like me to do? A Deliver care. B, deliver care that doesn't include some sort of mandated environment of care. Uh, C, there's all kinds of ways we could approach it. We need to have that. We need to have the directive for psychiatric illness just the way we have it for medical illness. The fact that we don't is bizarre. Uh, Josh, what's going on? Hello, sir. Um, Shoot. Well, first, I've been listening to you since poor man days. Wow. So going way back. Way back. uh, You know, so – Right on. You guys are great. I was uh, yeah, hoping to get on with you and Adam sometime. But uh, anyway, I was just uh, just curious about, uh, well, you, you've been talking about mental illness a lot. Mm. And then there's the whole gender issue. I know that's a touchy subject for everybody. But uh, with everybody APA and the AMA jumping on board, is there any, uh, I don't know, any way we can slow it down and get more information before we go all the way off the deep end? Well, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, but I will say that the the project of science is to constantly refine and change. And what is is axiom today is likely going to be, you know, either completely untrue or modified or or something different in 10 to 15 years. I mean, just look at how we look at diet these days and and all the changes that are happening rapidly there. So it's I've been chanting about this notion that there are no headlines in science for 20 years. It makes me furious when the press reports some finding as though it's it's a shattering headline that's changing everything. No, it's just a finding. And it needs to be reproduced many, many dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we'll incorporate it into our thinking depending on how it fits with the currently available wisdom. Uh, so just you know, the idea of things being ju- uh, just say it the Lord is uh, wrong. That's not that's not science. You got to be always prepared to adjust. There's there's mm-hmm. best practices based on currently available evidence. That's how it should be looked at, uh, and that evidence should be evaluated, and everyone should do their own evaluation of that evidence if they can, and then proceed. So right, right. Uh, and you were asking yeah, about it just seems. About, it seems like, like with our laws in you know California and Massachusetts, and you know in kind of the, I guess I hate to say woke in in, the, in those in those areas, there uh, seems like they're passing legislation that should maybe not quite be there yet. Kind of the school system stuff, you know the the SOGI stuff. I don't know. Just seems like a lot really fast. Yeah. Well, the government, uh, as always, uh, overreacts. That's just the way they do things. They overdo things, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Uh, and then it's hard to change it once they have things in place. And the things that are in place are are very uh, sort of fiat. They're they're not nuanced. And that's mm-hmm. that's that's the nature of government. I, I think the one thing that would concern me if I were you in Canada is mandated speech. Mandated speech has a yeah, absolutely. A, a mandated speech has a nefarious history. That that's all I would ask everybody to look at. Please look at the history of political systems where there has been mandated speech. But what follows is not pretty. And so that's yeah. that's my greatest concern about about what's going on there, Canada. Yeah, that's that's one of the issues with it that, that worries me is I don't know. I work in a school district down here 
and all of the all the the restrooms are putting up all gender and it says all gender as opposed to just saying restroom. I think that's I think that would be best is just say restroom and then you know, you can decide whatever. <laughs> but yeah, the mandated speech thing is is absolutely scary. It's uh, the scariest thing I think I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. That's yeah. uh that yeah. people yeah. don't seem to be bothered by it. It's like ah Well and, <laughs> yeah. and that's usually that's also the way it goes typically too. I mean you might want to read the Gulag Archipelagos and uh, see how that went historically. Uh and you know, uh, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it has a tendency to it has a tend <laughs> the patterns tend to tend to kind of play themselves out repeatedly. So yeah, I, I that's my greatest concern. It is not is not what's the appropriate way to treat uh, gender issues. What's my concern is the government's involvement in the mandating of speech on any yeah. issue. On any issue, it, it, then we're then yes. is that really the role <laughs> of government? You want? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, let me ask you this: that. <laughs> how, how how do Canadians see that? I mean, I know how we you know we we come from a heritage in this country of wanting limited government. The whole history was about casting off the yoke of government, and we have slowly sort of creeped back into more and more and more and more government. Does Canada have a similar feeling, or do they they want that kind of engagement and and you know involvement of government? Yeah, I think I think a lot do, but you know they get drowned out. The voices get drowned out by the the loud ones, right? <laughs> and the loud ones want more. They want the government. There's not a sense of um, see. It's so different here. I don't know how that works. You know, here, oh, yeah. here it's a it's a union of states, right? And so yeah, I'm in Orange, Orange County. I don't know if. Uh, Oh, I thought we were talking about that. Didn't, I, didn't you say something about Canada? But he did, but I think he I was just say, referencing the Jordan Peterson stuff. In, oh, okay. You know, Canada, Canada is kind of spearheading, and California is kind of spearheading it. I see. You I know, see. It's, well, uh, California, so, you know, California is a mess. California just oh, look, just look at the streets. Absolutely, look, look at the streets. And, that's all you yep, got to know. That's all you know. <laughs> Yeah, Pinsky uh, Corolla 2024, right? All right. I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, Josh, thanks for the call. Oh, I know. Appreciate it. All right, thank yeah, you. You got it. Bye. Hey, Drew, this happened after you were on the uh, Adam Corolla show recently, but right. did you see, uh, if not the whole show, did you see some of the clips of uh, Ricky Gervais doing uh, his Golden Globe monologue and stuff like I that? I did. I kind of watched bits of it. It did not engage me, so I wasn't paying that careful and attention. He, the, my only reaction to it really was it seemed old-fashioned. It seemed like uh, we're we're past that now. That people don't really do that. But you can't hold an audience with that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think personally that the the whole model of those award shows is kind of going the way of the dodo bird. I, I think so. It's just it does. Although certainly, one thing I learned is that if you are uh, on triple therapy for HIV, that seems to be a primary audience because there were tons of HIV treatment there uh, uh, commercials. Which, by the way, were very inspiring, by the way. Uh, the, seeing people that would live with HIV for 20 years, as somebody that worked in that field for so long when we had nothing. Oh, my God. It's just it's – just, you can't imagine how, how – Hearing you talk about the early days of that as someone who oh. wasn't really even around. I mean I was maybe oh. alive, but I – by the time I was old enough to understand what that was, it, the oh epidemic had long since passed. Well, and everybody's dead. Everybody's dead who was actually witness to it right. except the caretakers like myself. And and now to be able to turn it into a chronic illness like diabetes is just incredible. It's so incredible. I, I was I was deeply moved by those commercials. But damn, there were a lot of them. Well, you're taking care of your health. You do everything right. But what about the uh, what ifs of tomorrow? It's time you think about that. Uh, 
The health conscious have overpaid historically to subsidize those who are less health conscious. That's just how insurance works. I want to introduce you to Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you for their life insurance. Hey, you exercise. Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take the customer through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. They won't be found anywhere else, and you must qualify. You must be really paying attention to your health as much as you say you are. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash Drew. Again, that's Drew, not Dr. Drew. And you can take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that is healthiq.com slash Drew. Let them know we sent you. And you can start the process with that Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment. You'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. Once again, that is healthiq.com slash Drew. Well, it is time to turn it up with your new favorite podcast, Expeditiously with T.I. here on Podcast One. Join the rapper, entrepreneur, family man, activist as he bridges the gap and sheds light on important social topics and eyebrow-raising dialogue that might make you want to pull your dictionary out. Download new episodes of Expeditiously with T.I. every week on Apple Podcast and at Podcast One. Hey, everybody. The Corolla Newsletter has arrived at CorollaNewsletter.com. You'll get highlights from the week, behind-the-scenes stories, discounts, deals, and exclusive videos of the gang you can't get anywhere else. Plus, when you sign up at CorollaNewsletter.com, you'll be automatically entered to win a trip to Los Angeles to watch the big game with Adam Corolla, none other. So sign up for the newsletter today, and you and a friend could be coming to the car museum to watch some football with Adam. Get it on at CorollaNewsletter.com. Uh, Zach, what's going on? Hey, um, I was calling, um, my, my, uh, my sister has, uh, been, uh, alienating her husband's side of the family from, uh, like seeing her kids kind of happen. She has three kids and ever since she, uh, got like, uh, uh, it, it, it's been a slow progression, but, um, and every time I ask her about it, she gets really defensive and then she kind of makes up some half-assed excuse of, uh, reasons why she doesn't let them be involved in their lives. And I was wondering if there's anything I can do to help out the situation. Well, I, I would need a lot more information. What, what does she say is the reason? Um, it, it, it ranges. It's like, it, it changes every time too. Um, she, it, it's like their house is dirty, which she's not a great homekeeper herself. It could be things like, uh, uh, I mean, the, her, his side of the family are, is extremely nice, good people. Um, his mom is like in early childhood development and everything too. And so every so often she might suggest, Something like oh, oh he's, maybe he's that's hitting it. this milestone or something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. So why don't you ask um, her that head on? That that uh, do you feel somehow defensive when she has advice for you? She and she does, and and she's expressed that. But at the same time, like I mean, they didn't even go over to uh, see that, and they live in the same town as my family and everything like that. They didn't even go over and see. Um, uh, his side of the family at all. They just kind of made up excuses, and well, it, it's it's right. baffling to me. All right. The, the one thing you can do is focus on what it means to the kids to be deprived of their relationship with their grandparents. Yes. You know that, what I mean? That's what bugs me the most. Yeah, and, yeah. and just express that. Just just stay right yeah. there. Uh, and and that this is, a, this is something that, yes, you may not like, but you're actually depriving your children of an important – part of their family and their heritage and people that they should know and who love them. And so I, I would just forget the reasons and focus on the kids, what the kids are 
losing as a result of her okay. behavior, okay? Yeah, All right. sounds good. All right, you got it. All right, thank you. You bet. This is uh, Andrew. What's up, Andrew? Hey, Dr. Drew. How are you? I'm good. What's happening? Um, one, I wanted to thank you. Um, uh, I am, uh, because of listening to you and Adam for many, many years, um, I was able to realize finally my alcoholism, uh, seek treatment. I'm in 12-step. Um, right. To a therapist and a psychiatrist. Um, and because of you specifically, and you're talking continuously about it, I was able to get my psychiatrist to add Neurontin to, oh, um, to my regimen, my treatment you. regimen, in addition to supplement my naltrexone oh, um, to curb my cravings oh, and, my God, and help a, with my anxiety as well. Oh, so thank you for that. That is the way it's supposed to be done, Andrew. That is the way it's supposed to be done. You're supposed to see a specialist. They're supposed to include mutual aid society. They're supposed to give you medication-assisted treatment for your addiction, which is the naltrexone, and then some of the post-acute withdrawal phenomenon and whatever issues you're managing when your brain is not quite right yet. Neurontin is a very effective way to, to do that. So good for you, man. And it, it's been great as a supplement for my day-to-day anxiety along with my vibrate as well. Um, so I've uh, established a uh, you know a pharmacological regimen that, um, that has really helped augment my uh, – uh, my sobriety program. Cool. So thank you for all your help with that. Congratulations. Um, the reason I was calling is I wanted to see, um, I've got um, uh, a girlfriend uh, that's bipolar, um, you know, certainly on the uh, much more leaning towards the mania side. And uh, it's been hard for me as we started living together to get her to be compliant with her medication, um, both in whole and or on a regular basis. I wanted right. to see if you could give any tips for a loved one to try and get yeah someone that needs medication to be compliant with their with their regiment on a regular basis right. without kind so of this, overstepping this is, your bounds well, or being too pushy or being the it, it's not like addiction it, it's not like addiction where you have to kind of let people get to their own level with it because the the illness blocks their insight they blocks their ability to see what's happening and it, it's a it's characteristic of uh, bipolar disorder mania to, that this is the case, and part of it is people kind of like being in that manic state. That's part. Oh, of she it. loves it. Loves yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely loves yeah. it. Yeah, and, and the other part is they don't like some of the side effects of the medication. So, so one approach is to go, hey, look, this is getting dangerous. Let's let's get better pharmacotherapy. Let's get something that really works for you that you're not unhappy with. What what is she taking now? What is she supposed to be taking? I can look at it two giant boxes full of stuff for that along with other problems, but um, Raylar, um, Trentelix, um, uh, I believe Lexapro, um, and then, you know, additional sleep medications, um, things like that. Maybe could you ask if you could go in with her to see the psychiatrist? Um, you know that that's uh, that's not a bad idea. Um, I, I, I would you know, we've, about... we've both been involved in one another's, you know, sat yeah. in with therapists or with you know other professionals before. So yeah, and just um, and just let the, and just raise the issue about compliance and fear of it. But man, that pharmacotherapy sounds a bit complicated, and and rather, and she's on a lot of depression medicine. I'm, I'm wondering if that's flipping her into mania, and maybe she is manipulating her mania by skipping, say, whatever mood stabilizer she's on. So it, it's a concern, man. That, that, that's, that's complicated. And right. I, well, and then you add Adderall to the, to the mix. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, the Adderall, the sleeping meds and all that stuff, very, very concerning. So I, yes. I think the way, to, the way to do it is get more information and get in there with the, and find out what that doctor is thinking. And, and if you don't have confidence in that doctor, you can always you know, work with her or maybe finding somebody else. But first, get in there and well, see what's going on. 
Well, and I think one of the other problems as well um, is that it's coming from multiple providers. Yeah. Um, so I don't think everybody, I you know, certainly don't think it's a, everyone's not, on that, the same page or is aware of, that is of okay. what, none what of that the other is okay. hand is doing. Yeah, you've you got to take the whole box, take it into the psychiatrist, and show up with her, okay? Okay. All right, man. Good luck. Whew, that's a rough one. Uh, Jerry, what's going on, buddy? Yeah. How's it going? Hey. Hey, uh, so I saw pictures over the Christmas break, um, you know, you at the White House and taking pictures with Trump and all that. I just want to know how, how you felt. Uh, were you nervous? Did you have a good time? I was nervous. Uh, I was really pleased to get to know some of the people that are in the administration, sort of the, the, uh, these close advisors and the secretary level, uh, uh, what should we call them? Represent representatives. So Secretary Azar, yeah. Secretary Azar, head of the HHS, such an impressive guy. I, I would say that was the wow. hi, the highlight of my day was getting to know him, hearing his thoughts, hearing you know how how smart he is and his extensive background in healthcare and what he's planning to do. And th- this guy's on it. Number two, my yeah. second my second highlight was Ben Carson. I I don't care what the, the he gets a bad rap in the press. That guy knows what's up. He, you know, he's not a great speaker, but he is a excellent human being, and he's a good administrator. He knows what he's up against. He knows what he's trying to do, and he's smart. So please, everybody, and 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 he listens to you according oh, to yeah. what you said oh, on the show yeah. yesterday. Oh yeah, absolutely. Listens carefully, uh, and and peer to peer kinds of listening, where it's like very efficient, very effective. And uh, awesome. and the most bizarre part was being spoken to by the president of the United States from the stage. <laughs> that was weird. He starts laying. Yeah. Where is Drew? I'm like I'm, I'm over here. So that was. <laughs> I did not expect any of that. Uh, and I was very nervous about doing a keynote. You know, at the White House, that's a big deal. Uh, but I do yeah. feel like uh, mission accomplished. Like I got there. You know, the information I wanted to get across, across, and uh, we'll see if they. Oh, oh, there was another third person that I was very inspired by, which was the new homeless czar. That guy knows what's up too, and we'll, I'm anxious to see how effective he is and what he what he does. All right, awesome. All right, awesome. One more thing: yeah. Are you getting any kind of backlash from people just because you know yeah, you, yeah. Know, you take a picture with Trump? And yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and, I, and I expected that. And I, I'm not. I'm kind of agnostic to everything. You know, my thing is, hey, I just want to help people, and and these guys are listening yeah. and they're willing to make change. I I'm going to talk to them, and. Um, yeah, I, so that that's the way I look at. It. I'm, I'm like Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian went in and made change in the uh, prison reform. Prison reform, and uh, that I, she's my model. I never thought I'd say that, but I'm Kim Kardashian. Thanks, thanks, Jerry. Before we get to line three, which is a topic we touched on moments ago, I have yeah. to say, listening to your speech at the White House, which was very well done, thanks. I was getting PTSD as I listened, and you were having trouble with the slides not being right. I was reaching around trying to figure out how I could fix them. I was 4,000 miles away, but I was like, oh, my God, this is the White House. I'm screwing this up. It's, uh, it was well, a weird there, experience. There's no Adam Carolla there at the White House screaming at you. So, Well, no, different. but I, I, fine. whether Adam's there or not, I, I want to get my job right, and uh, it was just a weird experience. Yeah. There, oh, at the beginning, there was a whole mix. Yeah, you were yeah, just yeah. you were a little off, and I could tell it was flustering you, and I wanted to help. Oh, I'm so used to that, uh, this, in technical problems. And there was a kid in my eyesight who was actually writing this stuff. I felt terrible for him. Uh, James, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man. What's up? Um, so I had a question for you. Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed um, with HIV AIDS, actually, mm-hmm. uh, about uh, six years ago. Um, 
by the time they had had caught it, like my I was my immune system was like depleted. Um, my CD4 count was like one twenty something. Um, I've been on um, my regimen and I've bounced back. Um, so I'm technically undetectable at this point. Great. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean technically? You, What's that? What do you mean technically undetectable? You you either are undetectable. Well, I mean, okay, so I'm I'm, I'm undetectable. Yeah. Um, but I kind of feel like some parts of my body are failing a little bit here and there. Like I'm just I'm I'm not the same. Um, I don't like I I keep growing like cysts here and there. Um, like like boils. And, like boils. Uh, what do they call them? Dermoid. Dermoid cyst. Uh, Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, but then, I mean, there's other things too. Um, but all my, all my care provider does is just like, makes me get my labs done and just refills my prescriptions. Um, I'm on Invoya now. Mm-hmm. I was on Stride Build. Mm-hmm. Um, Why'd they switch you? Yeah. Because they told me that's what I needed to do. And well, that's all I know. All right. So, so there's two two things occur to me. One is there's a communication breakdown between you and your caretakers, and I don't know why that's happening. They, they should be informing you of what they're doing. My thought is that since your viral load is zero, I think what they're I, – I, again, trying to read between the lines here. I suspect what they're thinking is that these side effects, these experiences you're having, the dermoids and whatnot, the, the breaking down your, what you're calling – I think they're thinking that's from your medication, that it's literally a medication so, side effect, not your HIV. And so they're trying so other that, ways, right? So the cysts only happened like once I moved from Stridel to Genvoya. Mm-hmm. And the the one reason that I was told, and there was only one, is because apparently there was something with Stridel about like bone density loss mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yep. And so they moved me over to Genvoya, which is basically the same medicine. Yeah. It just seems to me like it was like a patent thing. Like they just well, that's that's the other thing I'm, I'm worried about that somehow you're getting limited choices because of some resource restriction. Are you in a AIDS project kind of setting where you where there's lots of lots of resources available? I I belong to Kaiser. Ah, see, so <clears throat> that's concerning. That's concerning, and not the Kaiser. Anything wrong with Kaiser? They they often do very very good care, but I'm wondering if that's limiting your options. Uh, what what if you were to go to an AIDS project? You know, and uh, I know the one in Los Angeles is just incredible, and you can get. I'm, val- up, I'm up here in the Bay Area. No, I understand. I, I would think Bay Area would have the same. I, I don't know for sure, but I mean, my God, that was ground zero for for the epidemic. And see, I just, it would and, have to be. It would just have to be like in network. Because I can't really afford like outside. Well, no, no. My my point is that the, many of the AIDS projects are free, and you and there's lots of resources. I I would look more into the AIDS re, AIDS resources. Like, are there is there an AIDS project that would give you a free medical evaluation, and just get another evaluation of what your care is? Have them just look at things, look at your records, and and see if uh, they agree with what what's going on here. Some something isn't quite right, and uh, it sounds like you should. Avail yourself of, of more care, right? And I understand you're, uh, yeah. I, but but look look at AIDS projects. Look at look at I like, or maybe even call APLA AIDS Project Los Angeles and, and ask them if if there's somebody they could refer you to up there 
that would evaluate you for free. It's usually you can get stuff for free. You can even get drugs for the medication for free sometimes. So um, I, I'm hopeful. I, it's not as though I'm going, oh, it's not likely to happen. No, I'm hopeful that you could find somebody to do a, just an evaluation of your care. And they may, by yeah, the way, and be, and be prepared. They may evaluate it and go, hey, you're getting great care. It's, it's just this is the best we can do. Yeah, because even like these drugs aren't cheap. Like I know if I didn't have, uh, um, I know if if I didn't have anything like we're talking like a hundred dollars a day. I know, um, I get it, I get it, and and I then and, and I'm not saying this to disparage Kaiser in any way. I'm just saying that you know having a new set of eyes on things might uh, might be a good thing. Take, take let me know how that works out, James. I appreciate the call. Uh, this is Andre. Andre, what's up? Hey, Doctor Drew, how you doing, man? Good. What's happening? Hey, uh, so it's a, I got it's layered. I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. Uh, so over the new year, my mom had an incident with my younger brothers and her husband. Definitely focused on alcohol. Um, when they they kind of enable each other, and when she drinks too much, she tends to get super emotional. Okay. So my sister is kind of similar to her in the sense that they have strong personalities. So I feel like when my mom calls me when something happens, it it's just the emotional barf onto me, and it kind of adds weight onto me. Um, so my mom and my stepdad are avid drinkers, and they, they, they really shouldn't be drinking as much as they do, but they do. And I feel like in a way they kind of enable each other. Okay. They're so using when buddies. something bad happens, using buddies. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but they've been doing it for so long. Like, uh, so I don't know where I kind of fit in to kind of stymie this yeah. particular behavior, and I don't right. really think there is much of anything I can do. I think you're right. Um, so, so, so here's what you can do. There's, there's, there's two things you can do if you want. One is you can bring it up to them and uh, point out to them the consequences of their behavior on you and how it's making you feel and you know what, what it's like for you, number one. And then number two, uh, and actually the more important thing, is you can go to Al-Anon. Go to Al-Anon, get a sponsor, and have a place to go to get support for dealing with this. Right, right. And, and believe, I mean, me, I- believe me, the dance you do with them will change if you go to Al-Anon. It will. I mean, uh, granted, like... um. I'm not a spring chicken either. Like, I've had my runs in with alcoholism. Like, I got a DUI not, like, five, six years ago, and I did Al-Anon, and it really, it really opened my eyes. You did, you did as, Al-Anon or AA? Oh, I'm sorry, um, AA. Okay, well, do Al-Anon, too, because that, that's, a, that's another piece of the story you're living with. So what, what would you say in the sense of, like, and it gets more complicated because my sister is still forceful into it, I feel like she's kind of pulling me into her go, plan. Go to Al-Anon. Like, as far go, as how go, to do yeah, with mom. I get it. Go to Al-Anon. You need, you need somebody in your corner. It, it, two th- I, I think about the metaphor is, I have two metaphors. One is a fighter who, has, who, who needs a coach in the corner, right? You need someone there for right. you. Or the other metaphor is the plant and the little shop of horror. You know, the little shop of horror with the plant that says, feed me, talks. Yeah. Whenever you go near that plant in the musical or in the movie, it eats you. And that's the way addiction is. If you go near it, it sucks you into its pull. It, it, it takes it's, – it's an interpersonal disease. It's a relational disease. It takes advantage of all the resources that the identified patient has in his or her life. 
both in terms of their own brain and also the brains around them. It pulls them into it. And the only way you break that spell, much like in the little shop of horrors, you have to have somebody pull you out. The Ariadne's cord, we call that. Somebody to pull you out of the plant so you don't go in. And that's the sponsor in al That's what you got to do, man. I got to wrap it up, Andrew. I appreciate the call. Thank you all for being part of this. Appreciate the calls. And uh, again, DrDrew.com for the family of pods there. DrDrew.tv. If you sign up there, I'll give you a blast on Sunday when we put out our, our live show, uh, which is interactive questions like this. And you can call in and ask me more in real time, real live on a streaming show. You can check it out on Facebook Live and uh, sign up on Periscope. And we'll hope to see you there. Uh, thanks so much. I'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.